Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of 1 Samuel, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And he ran to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever." Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel, saying, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What is it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. In this chapter, we see that Eli and Samuel are sleeping in the temple of God. A couple of observations about that. One is that this place where Samuel and Eli are ministering has been called the tent of meeting and the temple. Certainly Solomon's temple has not been built yet. And we read about the tabernacle that Moses and the children of Israel brought through the wilderness and into the promised land. 
It may be the tent that's referred to here is the same tabernacle that had made that journey. But the use of the word temple here seems to imply a little more permanent structure. So it seems that that tent has been attached in some way to a more permanent building. As we're reading, we also see a reference to a lamp inside this temple. It could be that that is the golden lampstand that was supposed to remain lit in the temple at all times. The light was never to be extinguished. Here it says the light had not yet gone out, implying that it would. We've already read in the story that not everything they were doing in Shiloh was according to the law of Moses. So it could be, for some reason, they did let the lamp go out at night. But this idea of a lamp in several places in the Old Testament is also synonymous with hope. It's used as a metaphor for hope still being alive or lit within a people or community. And it could be after the description of all that Eli's sons had done and the punishment that would come to Eli and his sons as a result of their bad behavior that the narrator here is telling us that God's hope for Israel had not gone out yet, that there was still hope and it was in the person of Samuel, and that's why God is coming to Samuel. And so God comes to him in a dream, and it appears from all indications that this dream is basically auditory. We're not told of any images that he sees, but we are told that he hears a voice, a very loud and clear voice that startles him awake and causes him to go ask Eli what he wants. We're told that Eli finally perceives that this is the Lord trying to get in touch with Samuel. So he tells Samuel how to respond and to listen very intently to what God has to say. The next morning, Eli wants to know exactly what God had said, and Samuel's a little hesitant. So Eli says, may everything God said is going to happen, happen to you if you don't tell me exactly what God said. And so Samuel repeats the message, and it's almost exactly the same message that he had received from the prophet in the previous chapter. That repetition was important for Eli because he knew that it was from God and that it would come to pass. He had already heard this from two different sources, and they agreed. But this is also the event that lets all of Israel know, from the north to the south, or from Dan to Beersheba, that Samuel had been established by God to be a prophet in Israel. And as fascinating as this story is, and it gives us a historical connection between the time of the judges and the time of the kings, there are still lessons, principles at play here that will help us in our interactions with God. We're told in the story that visions from God were very rare at the time. And we know historically this is at the end of that time of the judges, that time when Israel was doing whatever they saw fit rather than what God wanted. And that was interfering with their ability to hear what God wanted them to do and to do it. Here Samuel hears an audible voice within a dream that gives him instruction about what is going to happen. Chances are you've not had that same experience, but many people in our time use that phrase, hearing the Lord speak or God spoke to me, to describe times when maybe they're looking through Scripture and find a relevant passage that speaks exactly to the situation they're in at that moment, and they're giving God credit for prompting them to see that and to notice it. Other times that word may come from another person, a preacher or a friend, or maybe even sometimes an enemy who says something that prompts or convicts us in a way that causes us to remember what God would have us to do in that moment. 
And in saying God speaks, we're giving the Spirit credit for bringing those circumstances together and convicting us about what we need to hear in that moment. It may not be a new revelation, but it's certainly something we needed to hear. And so we give God credit for that. And very often, even in our circumstances, when things come together in such a way that get our attention, that convict us about our responsibility toward God and His will, we will use that language to describe that conviction that we have. All it's intended to do is to remind us that God has a word for us, and it may get our attention at different times in different ways, but it's something that's intended for us to hear and respond to. And in the same way that Samuel's dream matched up exactly with what the prophet said, the things that we hear or experience that we're wondering whether or not can be attributed to God, the way we can know is if it aligns with the words he's already spoken, the things that are revealed to us in Scripture. If we're tempted to think an experience or a word that we've heard is from God, but it contradicts Scripture, it can't be from God. This is how Eli knows that God is speaking to Samuel, because the words line up exactly with what he had already heard from the prophet. So God does speak, and regardless of the way that we receive that word, God expects us to respond to it. The problem is, just like Samuel, we don't always hear God the first time. Sometimes, like Samuel, it takes other people to help us hear what God is saying or what God wants us to know. Samuel was hearing the voice, but he wasn't sure what to do with it. He wasn't sure how to respond. It was Eli who helped him know. But ultimately, here, what we need to take away from it is that when God speaks, we should listen. And when we are made aware of what God wants, of what God's will is, of what his word is, that leads us to a decision point. We'll either follow what he said or we'll come up with another solution on our own. It's up to us to make the proper response. We get to choose. But the only way to find success, the only way we can avoid leading ourselves to our own destruction is to listen to what God says. The problem with that sometimes is, just like for Samuel, that appropriate action can often be uncomfortable. Eli's being raised by this man that he seems to respect. He's being taught about God and how to minister to God in the temple, and now God has revealed to him that Eli and his children are going to be punished for their sins. He's still a young man, and this cannot be an easy conversation for him to have. And in the same way for us, very often when God is calling us to do something, it can be very uncomfortable. Whether it's loving our enemies, using our resources to help people who are less fortunate, or reaching out to others with the good news, we can often find ourselves in situations where doing what God wants us to do is uncomfortable. But just like Eli talking to Samuel, God expects us to do exactly what he's asked. Here in this situation, Samuel is going to have to confront sin. He's going to have to talk about the sin of Eli and his sons and the consequences of those sins. As Christians, sometimes this can be our most difficult conversations, especially when there are people close to us. And very often we will ignore what God wants us to do so that those people won't stop liking us, so that they won't get mad at us. 
Now, I certainly know some people seem to be on a mission to offend as many people as they can and call out every transgression they think they see in a way that creates division rather than brings healing and help to the people who are caught up in the sin. But what's obvious here is that Eli and Samuel have a good relationship. And because they have that good relationship, it's easier for Samuel to tell Eli about these things. When we blast on social media a list of things that God hates with no context or relationship, we often push people further away from God rather than drawing them into his will. When we can develop relationships with other people and help them develop a relationship with Jesus, then they come to understand that pleasing Jesus matters more than anything. And then we can talk to them about how to do that, about what God finds sinful and what God finds helpful in the life of his followers. Until that relationship's there, confronting sin can often drive people away. We may be tempted to think, well, it's the truth, and we have to speak the truth. But we have to remember that we're called to speak the truth in love, and until those people have made a commitment to Jesus, they feel no obligation to live to the standard of Jesus. God expects us to confront sin, but having good relationships makes that easier. We also see some things in the story about God's justice and His mercy. As we see all the good that Eli is doing with Samuel, we may be tempted to think that Eli doesn't deserve what's coming. But there are hints in the last two chapters that let us know that Eli has been a little more complicit in this bad behavior maybe than the rest of Israel knew about. And there were going to be consequences to that bad behavior. Any time in Scripture when God puts an immediate end to someone's wrongdoing this way, he's trying to get the attention of his people to let them know that he doesn't want that to go on any longer. He's told them and told them, but they didn't listen, and so he does something very dramatic to get their attention. And we don't always have to understand that or even think that it's fair, but we do have to accept it because it's a sovereign choice of God. Eli says the same. He is the Lord. Let him do as he wills. But even in the midst of this setting things right, we still see great mercy on behalf of God in the way that he interacts with Samuel. The same language is used here for Samuel as it was used for Eli's sons in the previous chapter. We're told he did not know the Lord. And in this moment, he's not responding to the Lord the way he should. But God gives Samuel four opportunities to hear him. Over and over again, he comes until Samuel understands what's happening and is willing and ready to respond to whatever the Lord has to say. Samuel needed four opportunities to hear God. How many do we need? God is abundant in mercy. He gives us time after time to respond to him in appropriate ways. And even when we don't get it right, he'll give us other opportunities. And he shapes and he molds us through those mistakes and missteps. But as long as we're responding to him, he'll give us those opportunities to do all that he's called us to do. What we have to decide is if we, like Samuel, are ready to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.